Hello everybody, I am Jason Trader and I am the Prince of Wessex and this is another episode of The Art of Being and uh, today we are going to have a little bit of fun with Hebrew words. That's right. And the reason we're going to have a little bit of fun with Hebrew words is uh, stumbled across a little bit of a gem of a verse. Uh, hadn't really heard it preached a lot in my life, but I was doing some um, studying in the Minor Prophets. And I came across this verse in Zephaniah 3 and 9, and I'll just read it for you here. I think this version is the King James uh, that I have displayed, but um, I'll read it, uh, you know, because I post this in both uh, YouTube with video and also it'll be posted as a podcast with audio so we'll read it aloud for those who can't uh, see the the screen and who are not on YouTube and it says for then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of Yahuwah to serve him with one consent and when I was looking at this verse it it, it just kind of hit me that uh, how the people serve with one consent is that Yahuwah is going to restore unto us a pure language. So he's going to return us to calling upon his name in the tongue or the language that he wants us to, which is Hebrew because he uses the word, call me Yahuwah. He doesn't say God. He doesn't say Lord. He doesn't use any of the... It, it is a Hebrew word here, the Hebrew name for God. He's going to return a pure speech so that we can serve him with one consent. So the only way for the church to experience unity is by restoring a pure language to the people. This is the importance of us believers, the people of Zion, grafted in to the, the, the nation of Israel, or naturally born in the nation of Israel, whatever it is, but it is the importance of us returning to the house of Israel, Teshuvah, return to the house of Israel, and return to the Hebrew way of thinking, because that is the only way, by having a pure language, that we can reach one consent, that we can dwell together in unity by calling on him not by other various names of God but by calling on the name of Yahuwah and speaking a pure language so we have to learn to study our Bibles from a Hebrew perspective and we have to learn to return to the Hebrew origin of the words that are in our Bible now I understand that the New Testament is in Greek and I understand that there are parts of the Bible that are in Aramaic. But what we like to forget, we like to forget that, I, so I believe that the scriptures were written in Hebrew and then translated to Greek later and that those manuscripts are lost. And scholars, they go both ways on that. But it doesn't matter whether it's written in Hebrew or in Greek because the Bible was written by Hebrew people. Talking about a Hebrew God and a Hebrew culture. So it doesn't matter. They could have been writing in English, but the way they were thinking, right? The way they were thinking, they were thinking as Hebrews. When Paul wrote his books, I don't care what he wrote. He could have written the whole thing in French. We would still be required to look at it from a Hebrew perspective to 
restore unto us one consent and pure unity because that is how he was thinking. He was a Hebrew man trying to get his Hebrew thoughts into words so he could tell other people how to be better Hebrews because we are grafted into the nation of Israel, not separate or apart, but we are one with the nation of Israel. And so it doesn't matter. We need to restore unto us a pure language so that we can reach one consent so that when people have debates about Oh, well, you know, let's use water, for instance, right? People, oh, water isn't, it's actually symbolizing of the spirit. And, you know, and then someone else will come in and go, actually, water is literal. And it's the, well, the reason they each have different interpretations of this word water or what water means is because they're trying to allegorize everything, which is a Greek cultural thing to allegorize and study. But Hebrews, they work around the physical world. Things you can see, things you can touch. The word for mountain will not only just be the word for mountain, but will also describe the characteristics of a mountain in the word. Because every single letter in Hebrew has several meanings. It has a pictograph, which is like, for instance, if you look at Aleph there, which is the first word. Now, remember, they read from right to left. So I know your English mind, you went to the cough first, the, the, the palm of the hand, right? But what you should have started at was the Aleph, because the Aleph is the first letter they read from right to left. Their words go the opposite direction as, as us American speakers. So for instance, that first Aleph, it's not just an A. It's also the picture of like a bowl, right? That's the, the animal with its, with its horns. And it's also representative of an aleph. It's, it is itself. It's the letter A. And it also has a number attached to it, which in, in this case, in the aleph's case, is number one. So we need to get back to understanding words, their pictographs, their letters, their numbers, and restoring the Hebrew origin so that we can reach unity in our conclusions that we determined from the Bible. So instead of arguing about allegory or literal and going back and forth, if we get down to the original Hebrew meaning, breaking down the letters and studying the word, it will give us a better understanding of what that word is trying to produce in our lives, what it is a picture of, and what it is trying to teach us. It is very important that we return to the Hebrew origins of our faith. So just like in Zephaniah 3 and 9, we can reach one consent. If you're reading Greek and then going to a Greek dictionary to come up with a Greek conclusion, or you're reading an English and they'll pull up the English word in an English dictionary, you might reach some conclusions that are not quite correct or that are close, but not on the mark, right? So we need to restore the original, the Hebrew thinkers, of a Hebrew God with Hebrew concepts, a Hebrew Messiah who had Hebrew practices. He didn't do Christmas and Easter. He did Passover and Hanukkah. Okay, so we, if we want to understand what our Messiah is trying to tell us, we have to understand him from his Hebrew culture that he lived. So I don't care if the words are in Greek. By restoring the original picture that the Hebrew words are trying to show us, we will get a better conclusion as to what the scriptures are trying to portray. All right. And today I'm going to start off uh, this, this series that I hope to get more 
uh, fun with Hebrew words out there so that we can dwell together in unity and, and better understand the concepts of the scriptures. And this is the first one that I'm doing, and we are going to go over the word. And you can just read that for yourself because it's on the screen. Nah, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's Shema. What you're looking at right now, it looks like, uh, remember, from right to left, a little W thing, a little box-looking thing, and a little Y-looking thing. And it's got some dageshes, which is like little dots and little marks and stuff that they, they like to throw in, which are vowel marks and stuff. Uh, but we're not going to get into that because that really doesn't matter. We are looking at, right to left, a sheen, a mem, and an ein. And those are the three letters that make up the Hebrew word Shema. Shema, if you uh, know anything about your Bible or anything about the, uh, sorry, the, the Israeli Hebrew faith of your Bible, you know that the Shema is the beginning of the Torah. It's the first word spoken of in the law of God. And thus, even Jews today, the rabbinic Jews of today, they love Shema. It's one like like. You know, Yeshua was asked uh, what his favorite commandment was in Matthew 22 and in verse 35 through 40. It, he also, we see in Mark 12, this same story being written in a different gospel. But he, he was asked what his favorite commandment was. And he said, Shema Israel. He, he quoted the Shema as his favorite and today, many rabbinic Jews would also say the same, that this is one of the most important prayers or the important concepts of their religion because it kicks off the entire law, this word Shema. Okay, it, it's the beginning. It's in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, and it is the beginning of the Torah or the law, which is of huge importance to Hebrew people and to Israel people even today. So Yeshua, he, he said, what, 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 I'll, I'll just read it. I'll just read it. Hold on, let me pull it. All right, it says in Matthew 22, 35 and 40, it says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the Torah? Yeshua said unto him, Thou shalt love Yahuwah, thy Elohim, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he goes on, the second, thou shalt love thy neighbor, which is a quote also from, from found in the Torah. And so when Yeshua was asked, he says this right here. Now he doesn't, or what we get in our translation of it, we don't get the word Shema here. Uh, he just says, love the Lord thy God, right? But if you go to that actual scripture that he's quoting, this is the first word that appears, Shema, hear, O Israel. So in, in this Fun with Hebrew Words series that uh, I'm going to try to, like I said, to get more and more of, we're going to break down every single letter of the word and try to bring out the Hebrew concepts of this word so that we can get a better understanding of the pure language and returning to Hebrew thought so that we can teshuvah, so that we can return to Israel. And the first word, that little W-looking thing, is, is a sheen. That's a sheen. So this is it in modern Hebrew and Paleo-Hebrew. The reason you have to separate the two is because the Paleo-Hebrew was like before captivity. Modern Hebrew, which, which has very heavily been influenced by the Babylonian Sanskrit and other places that they were sent, they kind of started picking up some of the more block letters 
And uh, obviously, I mean, they were they were kicked out for a long time. A, a kid born in Babylon is going to learn the language, right? He's going to learn, or a kid born in, you know, where, wherever they were taken to, whatever city they're in, that person would have learned that language and would have kept the language of the Hebrews for religious practices, right? So that when they do their holidays and all that would have been in Hebrew. But day to day, they might have spoken a different language. We don't really know. But what we do know is that the language changed from what it was to what it became. So we got the modern Hebrew and then the Paleo Hebrew right there. And this is the letter Sheen, which is the first one, uh, letter of, of Shema. Now the Sheen, uh, it makes the sh, sh sound. So our Messiah's name, for instance, Yahshua, that's a Sheen that's making the sh, Shua. And you also get it in Simeon, right? Simeon is uh, very similar to the word Shema uh, because Simeon is also a sheen and a mem, just like Shema starts with a sheen and a mem. Because if you look at when Simeon got his name, his mama said, it's because God heard me, right? So, so she was tried to encapsulate that word in the name of that person. So that's where we get the sh in the word. So uh, Simeon is, you know, is more better pronounced in Hebrew like Shimon or right uh, so it's it's the she the sh, sh now it is the number 300 I don't quite understand all the numerologies uh, that come with these words but I figure it's worth mentioning because they don't have numbers in Hebrew they have letters that come with a number and the the sheen is representative of the 300 and it is a picture of teeth. It's the picture of teeth. So if you go back and look at the Paleo Hebrew, right, that, that looks like it's supposed to be the symbol of like the two front teeth coming down. And then in the modern Hebrew, you can see how that they, they kind of relate to each other, right? They kind of they kind of match. And the, it's supposed to teach us and give us a picture of teeth, or basically like breaking down something to press it, to eat it. It can because of this. It can also mean kind of destroy because because when you bite your food, you when you in, when you ingest the food, you're you're breaking it down so that it can be destroyed or distributed throughout your body, right? When you eat something, we understand modern that when I eat it, it goes into my stomach and my stomach breaks that thing down and then distributes that nutrients throughout my body. And the sheen is the teeth that do the breaking or the pressing or the eating, and that's what the sheen is the symbol of of is the is the teeth the next letter in the word shema is the mem this is the mem you can see it there and uh i got it here in modern hebrew and in paleo hebrew again there's similarities between the two but they're definitely different and it's important i think to understand both the you kind of have to know what the modern hebrew is because that's how how it's going to appear in in writings of other bibles and you have to know what the paleo hebrew is because the paleo hebrew by grabbing that, you're going to better understand the picture that it's trying to show you because the Paleo-Hebrew better represents the picture than the modern Hebrew. They kind of lost that picture graph uh, purpose behind the Hebrew language. So this is the mem that makes up the second word of Shema, or the second, not second word, second letter, sorry. And it makes the M sound, the M, right? It is the number 40, and it is the symbol of water is what mem is supposed to uh relate like sky right when we're told in the bible and it says um 
you know, he separated the waters from the waters, right? And then, and then the firmament was placed in between the, the waters in, in Genesis. Well, because the sky was separating waters, the word there is shamayim. And the m is, is showing that it, it was water related, right? So the word itself speaks of what was actually being spoken of in that sentence at creation. And uh, it can be water, blood, spirit. And because water, like a mighty rushing water, it can also mean might or strength, right? And the way I like to look at the, the mem and remember is if, um, for those who can see it, the mem doesn't connect at the bottom. There's like a little curve that kind of comes out. It's like a, a box looking thing. And then it's got, you know, this little circle around it. I like to think of it and how I remember what the mem means is I, I try to remember is that little spot when it doesn't connect at the bottom, that's almost like the water kind of flowing out of the pool. So, you know, this isn't science or anything. This is just Jason. But in, in Jason's mind, how I remember the mem is I look at it as a pool and water flowing out. And then I can remember, oh, mem is water. And it's the M sound. And that's how, I, that, that's what helps me remember uh, the mem. The next letter in the word Shema is the Ein, the Ein. It, the modern Hebrew Ein looks like a Y, but the Paleo-Hebrew looks like an I. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but hopefully that helps you remember what it is. The modern Hebrew is a Y, the Paleo-Hebrew is an I. So that is the Ein. The Ein is a silent letter. It doesn't make a sound in and of itself, but it makes sounds because it's connected to other things, right? But it's, it's generally silent. It is the number 70. And just as you can tell in the Paleo-Hebrew uh, part of it, that it, it's representative of the I, which so it means to like see or watch or to know. And the way I remember the Ein, is if you look at it, the Paleo Hebrew is easy, right? When you see the Paleo Hebrew, it's, it's an eyeball. It means to watch. Super easy to remember that one. But the way I remember the modern Hebrew is if you look at it, it's it's got like two blocks at top, right? And they connect to the bottom. I kind of look at that as the neck and then the shoulder as it goes out and comes back in. So a person's torso is the blank space of the Y and each of the blocks that are on top, I look at those as the, um, and this is how the mystics, a lot of people get very mystical about the Hebrew language, but I look at that as like the good guy on your shoulder and the bad guy on your shoulder. So that's two eyes on either shoulder, one trying to lead me astray, one trying to read, lead me down the right path. And that's how I remember that. It's, it's the eye sitting on my shoulder to help me watch. One's trying to lead me astray, the eye of the devil, the one that's on the back of the Yodala bill. Go ahead and look it for yourself. The eye of evil, right? And then there's good eye trying to lead me to see and watch and know the right things. Again, it's not science. That's just how I, how I remember that the Ein is an eyeball. That's my personal thing. So there we have it, the word uh shema the word shema sheen mem ein the total number of that whole word is 410 again i'm not sure the exact meaning of that uh, but if you're a mathematician let me know you know maybe there's some some something cool about that 
But hey, it's worth mentioning because that's how the Hebrews would have saw it. They would have they would have seen the the numerology behind the word. They understood that. Uh, so we should too. And so when you got the sheen, remember, break down, right, or destroy or ingest. You've got the mem, which is the water or the spirit, and then you got the ein. Remember, it's the eye or to watch or to see. So literally, the word shema is telling us to ingest the spirit of knowing. To eat the waters of knowledge. To get it into our bodies. To get it. And that's why the word Shema doesn't mean to just hear. So when you see in, in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, when it says, Hear, O Israel, it actually says, Shema Israel. And it doesn't just mean hear. And because it's translated into English as one word, we lose that definition. But the word Shema literally means to hear and obey and the picture is us receiving the word receiving the the word of of yahuwah receiving the scriptures ingesting the scriptures in putting that spirit of knowledge inside us so that it can distribute that throughout our whole body so you should change when you hear you should change when you shema not just to hear, but to hear, get it into your soul, get it into your body, get that knowledge and ingest it. These are, when Yeshua said, I am the water of life, come to me and you shall thirst no more. That, this is the concept that if we shema, that if we take the waters of life and put them in us, there will be no choice once you know the truth, once you have the knowledge, once you've put it into your body, there is now no choice but to take action. There is no choice but to take action. It's not just hear Israel, it's hear and obey Israel. Hear and obey. This word Shema, it appears in the Hebrew Bible like what we would call the Old Testament a little over a thousand times. We're, we're just about at a thousand uh, instances that this word Shema. Most commonly it's here, but it can mean hearken. And often, uh, or almost always, you see the word obey. That is not the word obey. The Hebrews don't have a word for obey. Then It's not there. It's the word Shema. So when you see obey in the Old Testament, more than likely that is the word Shema, because it means to listen and then obedience comes from it. So don't just think every time you see the word hear when you're reading your Old Testament, oh, that's Shema. Well, it is. But when you see obey, you're probably seeing the word Shema. And also the Shema, they'll, they'll interpret it as publish, hearken. So it's got different kinds of interpretations in our Bible. But most readily, you will understand that this is the concept of not just hearing the word of God, but hearing the word of God, and now I must take action because of what I heard. So think about it this way, right? If I tell somebody, Yeshua is the king, and he's the Messiah, and he died and rose again, I tell them that, and they say, thank you, but they don't accept him, and they don't choose to follow his covenant, right? Are they saved? No. No, they're not, because they didn't choose to accept him. So they heard, but they did not obey. It didn't cause a change in their life. 
if you truly hear somebody, if you truly understand what they're trying to say, it will cause action in your life. If you say that there's a fire in the house and I heard you, but I don't leave the house and I get burned up, did I really hear you? Did I really truly hear you? I heard the words, but if I truly heard and believed that what you were saying, I would have got up off the couch and ran up up my house so that I could be safe because I believed you because I heard what you're saying and I understood what you said and it made sense to me. And I said, oh man, that means my house is on fire. I got to get out of here. So my action proves that I believed what you said. And it's no different with our Messiah. When our Messiah, and he does, and we'll get into that here in my next slide here, but we will, when the Messiah says to Shema, he's not just saying, listen to me, people. He's not just saying, listen. He's saying, you should be obedient and there should be actions that follow what I tell you, if you truly heard me. So that's what our, our Messiah, he says in Matthew 11 and 15. He says, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Now again, I know it was written in Greek, but this is a Hebrew Messiah who worships a Hebrew God and is speaking about Hebrew scriptures. He didn't say, he that has an ear, let him hear. He says, he that has an ear to Shema, let him shema. Or he that has an ear to hear, let him obey. <laughs> That's what our Messiah is saying in this verse. He's not saying, listen to me. He is saying much more than that. He is saying, he that has an ear to shema, let him shema. He who has an ear to hear, let him obey me. And if you don't believe, and if the Messiah says, hey, this is what you should do, and you don't believe that, and or you say you believe that, and don't take action, you're a liar, right? You're a liar. That's why when we read John, John, 1 John tells us in chapter 2, it says, if you say you love him, but do not keep the commandments, you are a liar. Because if you say, if you heard what your Messiah said, then there should have been an action that followed to prove that you believed. And if that action does not follow, then you didn't truly hear me and you didn't truly believe me and you're lying about loving me. Don't say you love me and then don't take no action in following me. By believing in Yahuwah and by believing in Yeshua, our Savior, our High Priest, we should have action that follow us. And that's what uh, uh, Yaakov said right here. Yaakov is Jacob, Jacob. We named the book James because we wanted to try to remove Hebrew thought. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want us to be in one accord. And we read in Zephaniah 3 and 9, which the devil knows better than you. He knew that scripture existed. You didn't. And the devil said, I need to get these people off of this pure language because the closer they get to it, the closer they get to the truth. So he influenced people to remove Hebrewisms from the Bible, and we end up with the book of James instead of the book of Jacob, or Yaakov, which is his actual name. And this verse is misquoted by everybody. Almost everybody loves to misquote faith and works. But what is actually being said here, again, Yaakov, Let's remember, his name ain't James. This ain't some Greek dude. 
This is a Hebrew man. And not just that, this was a guy put in charge of Jerusalem. He's like the bishop or the head of the church in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. He's, he's the head guy. You don't get there by not keeping the law. You No way. Go ahead and read your Bibles and see how them Pharisees and Sadducees, how they looked at that. They would never, ever in their lives, they would go to war to stop somebody who spoke against the law from taking over their, they, and they did actually. When, if you read the book of Maccabees, they did go to war because people were going into their temples and doing things that were against the law and they had to rise up and stop it. Well, that same attitude continued for thousands of years. So there's no way that James could have been put in charge of what he was put in charge with if he was not a keeper of the Torah. And so we know, again, you could, you could argue, let's say that I'm wrong about that. Argue all you want. When we look at this guy for what his name really is, and we say Yaakov, then you'll know that this was a Hebrew man with a Hebrew thought. So when he says, thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is Yaakov telling us Shema. He's explaining Shema to the people. He's saying, if you heard, if you had faith, if you believed, then you would do something about it. This is not talking about works-based salvation. This is not talking about that you have to do something to receive faith or to have faith. This is simply saying Shema. And if we were Hebrews, Yaakov 2 and 17 could literally just say the word Shema and we would get it. We would get it. We wouldn't need the thus also. You know, we wouldn't need those flowery words. Thus also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. We don't need that whole sentence. You could just put in the word Shema and a Hebrew thinker would instantly know what that means. It means I need to hear and because I heard what happens, there should be work behind that. Because if I said that I believed and I don't do nothing about it and I don't change the way I live, then it's dead. It's worthless. You didn't Shema. You didn't Shema me. You said you did, but you didn't change. So I got no... That's why he said... You will know them by their what? Their fruits. Their fruits. So all these politicians that say, <laughs> Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, what are their fruits? If they shamad, then there'd be action. Then they would take steps to follow their faith. Because faith without works is dead. Shema. Shema. We need to hear and obey. We should do something because we believe. And that's another thing that people totally miss about Yeshua. When you look at what we today like to call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and it says, And Yeshua came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, that's Gentiles, right? Teach Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of Yahuwah, and the name of Yahshua, and of the Rahu Kakodesh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. Amen. But to observe what I commanded that is Yahshua, just as Yaakov, teaching about the concept of Shema. 
That's what he's doing. He's saying, teach them. Remember, there's no word for obey. So when he's saying observe, he's saying, teach them to Shema. Teach them to Shema all the things I commanded. Teach them to Shema Torah. That's what he said. That's, that's what that sentence says if you look at it from a Hebrew perspective. It's saying, teach them who have heard to observe. Which is, that's the word, hear and obey. Hear and obey. Teach them to hear, and there should be obedience because they heard. And what should they be observing? The things that I told you to observe. So if you believe in me, if you Shema, your Savior, then you will have observance. And we, as believers, should also be teaching people to observe a certain way of living based off of our belief system. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. So teaching them to Shema. Teaching them who have heard to obey. That is what our Messiah said at the Great Commission. He didn't tell us to go out and tell everybody, tell them all that I died and rose again, and then tell them to say this prayer, that I, tell them to say, I believe in my heart that you are the Savior, and you died and rose again. Please come into my heart. Go teach that, guys. That's not what Yeshua said. He didn't say, teach them to say the sinner's prayer. He didn't. And I get why people use the sinner's prayer, even though it's not found in Scripture. I get it. It's like this little standard thing that we've come up with in the west so that just to check to make sure that you're saved let's come up with this prayer that if you recite it then we'll know if you're willing to recite this then we'll know that's not the hebrew concept that's not it at all that's more greek and roman thought that they recite and repetit do repetitive type things to worship their god as a sign to their god they will do a certain type of ceremony that has words, right? We've all seen the movies with the guy with the Latin, speaking Latin, he's got a coat, and he's sitting over a cauldron. The reason they're reciting those things is they're reciting it in the name of their God so that their God will look at them because they said the right words at the right time. That's Greek, that's Roman, that's pagan. That's pagan. It's pagan to say that if you say these following words and follow this following ritual, that you will be saved by your God. That's pagan. The Hebrew concept is not that you recite certain words to reach a certain outcome. The Hebrew concept is that if you heard, you will have fruits that are produced because of your obedience and observance to what you heard. That's Hebrew. So we should not be telling people and teaching them to just recite the sinner's prayer. No, no, no. Yeshua commanded all his people to teach the people to Shema. Teach those people who have heard of me to observe what I command. That means teach them and tell them so that when they hear it, they can have action based off of what they heard. The word Shema does not mean to hear. The word Shema means to hear in obedience. Remember, it's a literal picture of eating the spirit of knowledge, ingesting the waters of understanding, of truth, of knowledge, breaking down the spirit of the eye so that we can discern what is good and what is right and what is wrong and we will have observances 
that match our belief. So when we preach to these people, remember, it is not about the sinner's prayer and then send them on their way and they're saved. The old Billy Graham, right? They would say, oh, millions got saved. And we'd all praise and like, oh, wow, that's so great. Billy Graham led many to be saved. Well, how many of those people, after they left the Billy Graham crusade, continued to observe? Well, I don't know. We don't have that stat. But that, that is what our Messiah wanted us to teach people. Not to say a sinner's prayer so that they think they're good to go and they can just go live their life however they want now. I run into people all the time. Oh, I'm a believer. Oh, I'm a Catholic. Oh, I'm a Baptist. Oh, I'm a Mormon. I do this. And then you watch them and you watch their fruits and you go, that's not what a believer should do. You claim to be these things, then you should have action. And if you don't, the Bible calls you a liar. You are a liar if you say you love him and do not keep the commands. So you're a liar if you have heard and do not obey. Shema Israel. This is a very important word in our Hebrew thought and our Hebrew understanding. We must hear what God is saying and then live our lives accordingly. Well, that's all I got, guys, on the word Shema, Shin, Mem, Ein, ingesting the spirit of knowledge into our lives so that action comes forth. We should produce fruit because we believe. These signs shall follow us. <laughs> you guys, we have power. We have authority. And because we have heard and because we are obedient and because we believe, our fruits will produce and people will come to our tree to pick up our fruit and to learn. We are to be the light of the world, and we are so through obedience. And obedience comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. We've all heard those scriptures, right? <laughs> well, he hearing and obedience is Shema. And Shema comes by the Torah, the word, the Debar Elohim, the word of God. How can they know unless they have heard, right? And we tell them to hear so that they may obey. And that is true discipleship, true fellowship, and true Hebrew belief of salvation that we must hear and obey. Well, anyway, guys, this has been the Art of Being. I thank you so much for stopping by. Please look us up on Facebook, Twitter, all that social media stuff. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe. And we love you and we hope that this has blessed you. I would like you throughout this week to remember Shema. Shema. Shin Mem Ein. Write it down on your little notebook at work. Whatever you got to do so that you remember that this week in your devotion that you are to hear and be obedient because of what you have heard. Thank you. I pray that you're blessed. See you guys later. Bye.